Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on Holy Nation. So if you'll turn to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, we are, I would be um, blind and dismissive to not recognize today where we are as a people, uh, as a nation, as people that live in a nation, and with what is coming up over the next 48 hours Obviously, there's going to be massive transition in our nation uh, one way or the other. There's going to be massive transition in our nation, and I believe we need to be prepared for that transition, encouraged for that transition, empowered for that transition. Let's look at Luke 19, starting verse 1. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. In the city of Jericho, there lived a very wealthy man named Zacchaeus, who was the supervisor over all the tax collectors. As Jesus made his way through the city, Zacchaeus was eager to see Jesus. He kept trying to get a look at him, but the crowd around Jesus was massive. Zacchaeus was a very short man and couldn't see over the heads of the people. In all the years, I have probably not talked about Zacchaeus a handful of times, and I feel like I've talked about Zacchaeus three or four times in the last year here. I don't know. We've got Zacchaeus on the brain. And speaking of Zacchaeus and a wee little man and a wee little man was he, it's great to have all of our kids in here with us today. We're not having kids ministry today. Some of our kids' ministry staff are finalizing their quarantine today, so... We thought we would give them that one more week. So isn't it great to have our kids with us? Parents, aren't you so glad your kids are with you in here today? Let them know how thankful you are that they're with you and how thankful you are that how well-behaved they are and how awesome they are and all those things. So he was a very short man and couldn't see over the heads of the people. So he ran on ahead of everyone and climbed up a blossoming fig tree so he could get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. When Jesus got to that place, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down for I'm appointed to stay at your house today. So he scurried down the tree and came face to face with Jesus As Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, look at this, of all the people to have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook. Zacchaeus joyously welcomed Jesus and was amazed over his gracious visit to his home. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, half of all that I own, I will give to the poor, and Lord, if I have cheated anyone, I promise to pay back four times as much as I stole. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to give half of everything I own. Why would Jesus go stay with this crooked man, right? And then once Jesus encounter, once he encounters Jesus, he says, I'm going to give half of everything I own, and if I've stole anything from anybody, I'm going to return four times as much, okay? 
Verse 9, Jesus said to him, this shows that today life has come to you and your household. Another translation says today salvation has come to your household. Today salvation has come to your household. Life has come to you and your household. For you are a true son of Abraham. The son of man has come to seek out and to give life to those who were lost. At this time, Jesus was getting close to entering Jerusalem. The crowds followed him. The crowds that followed him were convinced that God's kingdom realm would be fully manifest when Jesus established it in Jerusalem. Okay, we've talked about this story, and we've even talked about it in this context before, but I want to visit it again today. So as Jesus is in the city of Jericho and passing through. There's this man, Zacchaeus, and he was a wealthy man. He was over the tax collectors, and he was a crooked man. He had got his wealth from being a crook, okay? And so he was a short man. Whence we get our fun kids' church song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And so when Jesus came through, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus out of curiosity and... Uh, I know it's more than curiosity. It's out of his soul desiring to encounter who he was made to encounter, right? And so he wanted to see Jesus, and so he climbs up in this tree, sees Jesus. Jesus goes to him. They go to his house, and he makes this declaration that I'm going to give half of everything I own. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to your household. Now, they are almost to Jerusalem. So when Jesus makes the statement today, you know, it's like the statement today is the day of salvation. Immediately that triggered in the disciples and those that were following him this thought, this mental picture that today is the day that it's going to happen the way that we expect it to happen. He's going to, we're almost, oh my gosh, he said today's the day of salvation. Today salvation has come to your house this is the day, and we're almost in Jerusalem. I know that two plus two is four. So when we get to Jerusalem, probably today, this is going to be when we overthrow the government, establish our kingdom, and salvation will come. And so they make these assumptions, and so Jesus, knowing their thoughts, tells them a parable of the ten talents, okay? Okay. And that's a parable where a master had uh, <coughs> was going out of town and he brought in three of his servants and he gave each one of them 10 talents and told them to steward those talents as he went away. And each one did whatever they were supposed to do with those talents. And um, one, wait, it's not 10, it's one minor, isn't it? I don't know, I didn't put those notes on my thing. It's either the minor or the talents. It's inconsequential to the story today. But he asked them to, uh, the pastor says like $50,000, doesn't it? It's awesome. It makes it very clear. And so he gives each one a sum and then asks them to steward it. One, invest it wisely, and it brings back tenfold what he gave him. One, fivefold, one, zerofold, because they hid it and just returned it. And so... He gives them this parable uh, and, and is 
trying to help them understand what the kingdom looks like. And so when the first one got 10 back, he said, That's, I'm going to give you, make you ruler over 10 cities because you've been faithful over little, so I'm going to give you much. And the other, he that had five returned, five times the return, says, I'm going to make you faithful over five cities. And then the one with none, he took it from him, gave it to the one with 10. And so here they are. We're going to go into Jerusalem, and Jesus is going to overthrow the government. Someone is going to do something for us, and we're going to be the beneficiaries, right? And it's about to happen. Like, this is going to happen. We're going to... We're going to just walk in here, and we're going to be his right hand. You know, they've been fighting over who's going to be seated at the best seat, right, and all this stuff. And so they're like, man, he's going to overthrow. We're going to be, like, in charge. I'm so tired of Roman oppression. We're going to be in charge. I mean, Jesus is going to overthrow the government, and we're going to be right-hand people. And Jesus tells the parable that says it's actually going to happen that I'm going to give you a little bit of influence and you're either going to faithfully steward it or not. And if you faithfully steward, I'll give you 10 cities. That's how the kingdom is going to be established. By faithful followers stewarding the influence they've been given. Okay? There's no shortcut. As much as we would like for there to be a shortcut, there's no one man. There's no one woman. There's no one vote. There's no one process. There's no one thing that's going to single-handedly establish God's kingdom on earth. It's going to be faithfulness. It's going to be stewarding what influence we've been given. And so while they were waiting for somebody to conquer and hand to them, he gave them an example that someone's going to hand them something, and it's going to seem small, but if they'll be faithful over it, they'll end up conquering what they wanted to conquer and sitting where they wanted to sit. But it's not going to be done the way that they thought it was going to happen. 1 Peter 2 Verse 9, if you'll turn there with me or type there with me. But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it, but now you're drenched with it. My divinely loved friends, since you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, I appeal to you to divorce yourselves from the evil desires that wage war within you, live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers, even though they accuse you of being evildoers, for they will see your beautiful works and have a reason to glorify God in the day he visits. So you are 
a chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation. I hate to admit things that I don't know. Am I the only one that hates to admit you don't know things? <clears throat> I did not know that 1 Peter 2 and 9 was a quotation of the Old Testament. Who knew that? I'm just curious. Who knew that? Who knew that? I'm not the only one. Yes. Exodus 19, 4 through 6, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the people. For the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Okay, this is um, at Mount Sinai, and they're at the base of this mountain, and these are the words instructed to Moses to speak to the people, the Israelites, that if they will obey, they will be his own possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the sons of of Israel. So what's amazing is this is Exodus 19 to Israel, the sons of Israel, Abraham's descendants, right? The Jews, but we are in 1 Peter 2 9, and he says the same words to us. And then he goes on to add to that verse 10 for at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time, you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet, but now you're drenched with it. So he gives us the exact same language over us that he did over the Israelites. Somehow, what was promised to them became promised to us. We weren't a people, but now we are a people. And so we get to be partakers of what, Abraham's descendants, what's amazing in Luke chapter 19, he calls Zacchaeus a true son of Abraham. So the kingdom of God is come, salvation is come this day. You're a true son of Abraham, but we see in 1 Peter 2, 9 that we now are all a people, those that receive Christ and what he did for us and we take his blood upon us and we let him wash away our sins. We become heirs and joint heirs with him. We become like him before the Father, right? So we are this holy nation. Galatians 3, 26 and 29, you have all become true children of God by the faith of Jesus, the anointed one. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one, and now you are covered and clothed with his anointing. And we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ, no distinction among us. And since you've been with, united with Jesus, the Messiah, you're now Abraham's child, and inherit all the promises of the kingdom realm. So salvation has come to us. 
but do we still think it's going to come the way that they thought it was going to come to Zacchaeus? Are we still waiting on an external manifestation of the kingdom to come and establish what he's entrusted to us to establish? Did you hear me? Are we waiting on something else to happen externally? Okay? We are a spiritual nation that is not referencing America or Canada or any other nation. We are a spiritual nation. We are a holy nation. So in this nation, we are a nation within a nation. Okay? And so if we want to see the kingdom come, his will be done in our nation, it's got to happen in our nation before it happens in our nation. Right? It has to happen in the nation within the nation before it affects the nation that we want it to affect. But we think it's going to happen to the nation and then it's going to transform the nation. We think Washington's going to save the church. We think somehow, as amazing as it is, the Supreme Court is going to bring revival to the nation within the nation. I believe that our nation needs to impact the nation. We need to be praying over the nation. We need to be praying over the Supreme Court. We need to be praying over the president. But don't expect those things to transform the nation within the nation. It's the other way around. Our nation needs to impact our nation. John 17, if you thought everything I just said was confusing, (laughs) this is Jesus in John 17. Ready? Like Peter Piper picked a, better not do that. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? I can do that one. I get myself in enough trouble just saying regular words like horses and chariots. I can't be trying to do tongue twisters up here. And I'm already hot because I try to dress like normal people in, on November 1st, but I can't. I have to wear T-shirts because I'm hot-natured. This hoodie's killing me. I look at these guys up here. Daggum, no one's wearing a sweater and a toboggan. (laughs) Paul's got on a toboggan. If I wore a toboggan, I know they don't call them toboggans. I do, though. (laughs) I don't even know what they call them. It's not really a beanie, though, okay? Beanies don't roll, right? Beanies are just straight caps, am I right? Help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you got a roll... It's a toboggan. All right? You got to roll. It's a toboggan. Join me weekly for fashion tips. So here's Jesus in John 17. There's Paul. Hoodie and toboggan. I have given them your word. This is Jesus talking to the Father. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, 
I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they may, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I'm not asking, this is awesome, I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but, are, but also for all those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So they're not of the world, but I don't want to take them out of the world because I sent them in the world. But they're not of the world. So we're in the world, but not of the world, okay? It's like a boat in the water. But if you've got a boat of the water, it's not going to float. A water boat doesn't float on water. It's wet. Is water wet? I don't know. Just thought I would throw that in there. But a boat in the water is good, but a boat of water is bad. I mean, I want a boat of wood in water or a boat of fiberglass in water or a boat of... I don't want a boat of water in water. That's just water. And a nation in a nation that's just like the nation is just a boat of water in the water. And we're waiting on the water to change to make us be something other than water. That's not going to take place. We are the changers. These faithful women, these faithful intercessors that I talked about earlier are the changers. But we're not residents of earth acting as ambassadors to heaven to see if heaven will respond to earth. We're actually residents of heaven acting as ambassadors to earth and bringing heaven with us. We act like that. We're part of the world, of the world, trying to get some external force to come and transition the world that we're of into a world that will help us be like the kingdom. It's not the case. We are the kingdom. We are the people. We are the nation. We are the changers. We are the faithful. We are the remnant. And we change where we are. We are the kingdom. And we're here to bring change to the nation. The world is, the world, when we talk about the world, what have we been sent to but we're not supposed to be of? The world, I think, takes on three different definitions in Scripture. The world is what you see that's been created. You see it in, let's see, where was that? Skipping around a little bit, guys. Acts 17. God made the world and everything that's in it. So in that case, the world 
is what you see that is created and everything in it. We're not of the world because we were taking the dust of the world and the breath of God breathed in us. So we're not of the world, we're of God. But the world in that case is not such a bad thing. It's the beautiful land. It's the beautiful stars. It's the beautiful everything that God has created, right? That's the world. And the world is also the people that are existing on that planet. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that so whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So that's the world. But Romans 2, 12 and 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. Now we start to see what the world is that we're supposed to be in but not of. Do not be conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to the world. Ephesians 6, 12, we struggle not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of darkness. <clears throat> In the Passion Translation, it says, your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are pow a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world. And so it's this, it's this system, it's this ideology, it's this thought process, it's the way the grain runs, it is the way the river flows, it is this process, it is this progression, it is... Uh, an, a thought process that is at enmity with God. That is the world. So we were going according to the course of this world. A course is just a laid out course. I mean, everybody is doing it. That's just the way that I am. That's the way I was wired. That's the way I was brought up. That's the way blah, blah, blah. That's the way my mom. That's the way my dad. That's the way my grandmother. That's the way everything. Just come on board and get right in line with the course of this world. That's the world. According to the prince and power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you've been saved. You know, there's a thing called the Gulf Stream. Anybody heard of the Gulf Stream? It's pretty much a river in the Atlantic Ocean. And the river, the color is different. The flow is different. The temperature is different. You can literally look at this from above and see this river running 
through the ocean. This river is in the ocean, but it's not of the ocean. It doesn't obey the course of the ocean. It doesn't obey the tides of the ocean. It doesn't obey whatever the systems are of the ocean. It has a purpose. It has an intention, and it stays on its course. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We're a nation in a nation, and the nation is desperate for us to be a nation. Not waiting on a bailout. Not waiting on one man to do everything for us. Not putting the weight of the world on one lady's shoulder that's going to now sit on a bench. Abortion is probably the most evil thing, hands down, that this nation has ever done. Legalize abortion. And, uh, and uh, you know, everybody, every time you bring it up, everybody wants to talk about these extreme cases. Nobody wants to talk about the women that stand up and gloat about killing 15 babies and how proud they are and how thankful they are and that they had that right and they loved it. Nobody wants to talk about that. But that's what we've condoned as a nation. Absolutely, I want to do everything in my power to see that changed. However I have to vote, however I have to pray, however I have to intercede, however I have to march, however I have to do whatever. We're getting ready to partner with a ministry here in town. They're getting ready to start Planned Parenthood. We had Ken Peters here a few weeks ago, months ago now, I guess. And... Um, the church at Planned Parenthood, they're going to be in Knoxville at the Planned Parenthood here, and we're going to worship God across the street from Planned Parenthood and just impact what's happening in the spiritual realm. And we're on the docket to lead worship at the very first one in Knoxville. And I don't have the date yet, but I'm super stoked. It's coming up. I think it'll be before the first of the year, if I understand correctly. I want to do whatever it takes, but I just want to throw this out there. If the nation within the nation was taking their responsibility seriously, we wouldn't even need a law. We would not even need a law. We wouldn't even need to ban abortion. We would be, um, we would be so influential in our nation. We would be carrying life so strongly and light to every every crevice that we would be providing hope. Um, we wouldn't even have an epidemic of teen pregnancy if we were doing our part. And now we want to put all of that on the legal system, which I think is appropriate to make it illegal. But what are we going to do with the people? 
And some people try to justify and critique the church and say, well, you can't say you're against abortion because you don't do enough for babies. I mean, come on. What are we supposed to do? I mean, go there and keep people from doing abortion? That's just a cop-out. Let's end abortion, and then we'll decide what to do with all the babies, right? Then we'll try to help figure it out. I don't know which one comes first, the chicken or the egg, how we do that, but you can't, you just absolutely can't say let's just continue to do something that's vile and evil because you're not doing anything better in the moment. But what are we going to do when it's illegal? And all of a sudden, nobody's going to be dealing with the crisis of unwanted pregnancy. I'd say we'd see a rise in not just abortion, but maybe we might see a rise in suicide. Might see a rise in what am I going to do that my life is now over because that's how people are thinking in the moment. What am I going to do now? I've ruined my life and I don't have any options. And I'm not here to pick apart and make arguments for things. I'm just saying if the world would look totally different if the nation and the nation would rise up and be who they're called to be. We, guys, we think very little about the problems in the world. We spend 99.99% of our time thinking about our little situation and how to better our little situation. If we were the church, if we were the nation, I'm just saying, I hope, I hope, I shouldn't even mention a couple of those different specific items because that'll get y'all distracted like I'm trying to you make a specific point. I'm not. But I hope you can understand that if the church was the nation in the nation, our world would just look totally different. Everybody wouldn't be in turmoil right now over this election. Like some people think it's the end of the world if the election goes one way or the other. We should never be in that position. We should never be desperate that an election go one way or the other or the nation that our nation is in is going to collapse morally. It should not even be an option with the powerful nation that we are within a nation. It should be secondary. I'd go so far as to say I don't even, we shouldn't even have candidates running that don't share our nation's views because our views should be so prominent in this nation. It should be proven. They should taste and see that the Lord is good. It should be proven that our way is the way. He is the truth. He is the way, and he is the life. We should be demonstrating it to the world, but we're so concentrated on getting our stuff right. And we don't live by faith a lot either. So we don't even give God an opportunity to show out because a lot of things we do are so calculated and targeted 
and pre-planned, and we don't like to take any steps that aren't that way. So we don't like to demonstrate to the world how awesome God is. It's like we make a bunch of decisions for ourselves and just so happen we follow Christ too. But our, our prosperity is not a result of our faith many times. I'm just getting into all kinds of stuff on I now. I'm just saying, how would Michael Cox live that would transform every person I came in contact with and change the way they think about God? How would you live? We are a nation that's called out and set apart, a nation within a nation. And as I go into this election, I find myself at times being so afraid or so concerned or so worried or so whatever it may be and putting so much weight on what this nation's going to do to help reinforce our nation. It's really not our nation's job to reinforce our nation. It's our nation's job to transform the nation around us and bring heaven to earth. As we pray over the next 24 hours, as we pray up to the election, many people would say, yes, we need to intercede. We need God to move. We need this to happen like this. We need to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem now. We've got, if it doesn't pan out the way that we think it should in the nation, we are destitute and hopeless and Maybe we need to be praying, God, give me wisdom to steward what you put in my hand in this next season well because I know that that's going to be more important than what happens on a national scale. If every believer took responsibility for that, if every believer took responsibility for that and was given 10 cities... We wouldn't need one person to rescue our nation in this nation. We wouldn't need a miracle to break through. We wouldn't need to make sure we have the votes on the Supreme Court. We wouldn't need to make sure all those things if we were stewarding well what he puts in our hand and receiving the influence of 10 cities. There's so many people here today, if we each had 10 cities, my goodness. You know what I'm saying. There's no way that there's even that many cities for us to all have. So we would have influence extra for the cities. We'd be doubling up. Stand with me. We're going to get out today. I want to challenge you today as we prepare for this time. Some of you probably are saying, man, I thought you said you were going to encourage us. Okay, I forgot that part. Listen. As much as that puts responsibility on us, that's encouraging as well. That we don't 
have any control. We do have control. If it's all up to somebody else, then I have to sit around and wonder if God's going to be able to move in somebody else. The encouragement is, if we are who he calls us to be, we don't have to have anybody else do anything else. If every believer took that responsibility, we wouldn't need a miracle from somebody else. We wouldn't need some other thing to take place. We're the miracle. We're the transformation. We're the nation. We're the peculiar people that have been set apart. So we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Every opportunity we have to influence this world and to impact this world, I believe we should take it. I'm not anti-impacting the nation that we're in, but I don't want all of my hope and all of my faith and all of my assurance to be tied to the nation that my nation is in. I want it to be tied to the nation that can't fail, the nation that's built on a king that will live forever, a nation that is built in a kingdom that will stand the test of time, a nation and a kingdom that is built upon the solid rock, a nation that is not a democracy. And it doesn't go by the popular vote or the electoral college or any other college or system or process. I don't have to worry about getting outnumbered. I don't have to worry about the world getting too dark and then I just lose out because it's just the majority votes against me right now. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. He has conquered the world, and we will conquer the world. But we have to look at the kingdom differently. We have to look at our responsibility to the nation differently. It's not to sit around and stress out, wondering if everything's going to play out correctly. But it's to take action and be the transformation, be the change. God, would you make us the nation in the nation? Would you make us a people that doesn't sit around and hope things take place and hope that transformation happens by some external force or by some one person or a group of people? But God, let us have an awakening to the authority that's in us. Let us have an awakening to the authority that's in us when we come together. Let us take the responsibility and let us rest in the peace. Let us take the responsibility and let us rest in the peace that our fate is not in the hands of others. Our fate has been determined the kingdom is at hand. It is available to us. No one else can disqualify or discredit us or no one else can vote us out. Until the kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms of our God. We are your people. We are your nation. Let us be faithful to carry your heart and establish your kingdom here on earth through our influence, through our faithfulness, through our obedience, 
that let us win the 10 cities. In Jesus' name, you say, so be it. Amen, amen. We'll see you back here tonight. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life. 